0: Karen Dinabe is the author of A Woman of Intelligence, a novel. Karen is also the author of A Hundred Sons and The Gilded Years, which is soon to be a major motion picture starring Zendaya, who will produce alongside Reese Witherspoon and Hello Sunshine. A former Politico reporter, her writing has been featured in The Washington Post, Miami Herald, Chicago Tribune, and Newsday. She has appeared as a celebrity and politics expert on Entertainment Tonight, CNN, and CBS Early Show a graduate of Vassar College. Karen lives in Washington, DC. Welcome, Karen. Thanks so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books to discuss A Woman of Intelligence. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. I really loved this book, but also love this outfit, by the way, on the cover.
1: Thank you. You know, I'm going to admit I was the art department at St. Martin's almost killed me because I made them change the bag, I think four times. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, not the right bag. It's still not the right bag. I mean, it was perfect. Honestly, the cover looked just like this. We changed nothing except the bag.
0: Oh my gosh. I love it. I love the wallpaper or whatever, you know, that pattern. I, I yes. just, I feel like I should have been born at this time. You know, like I, I, know. I, I like I these know. clothes more, you know, I, I think I would have done well then. Yeah. The clothes are unbelievable,
1: though. I have to say like the maintenance to look that good all the time, it seems
0: exhausting. That's true. That's true. But there was less to do. Like you didn't have email. You didn't have to do emails. <laughs> I know. I know. Email is the
1: reason we don't do our hair every day. If that's the reason. Pretty
0: much. If, if it weren't for email, I would look like this right now.
1: Same. Same. I would do exactly like this right
0: now. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. So your book, do you want to tell listeners what it's about? I kind of hate asking authors this question, yeah. but I do think people want to know, or I could try to. I could just summarize it either way.
1: No, I'm happy to summarize it. So basically I like to call it A book about a woman who really loses her way through motherhood in the 1950s, who had a sparkling career as a translator at the UN and then kind of gets locked in this domestic cage, has happened so much in the 50s, and she hits rock bottom. She really is in the throes of what we now call postpartum depression. And there's really nowhere to go but up or very down. But she's like had a moment. She's like, well, I need to do something with my life. You know, I'm, I'm in a very bad place. And right at that time, she's approached by the FBI to spy on a former lover from her college days who is now pretty high up uh, in Soviet intelligence. And she decides to do it, starts lying to her husband, starts spending less time with her children. And it really gives her a new lease on life, a new identity. She really finds herself again in that role and having a purpose outside of the house. And I think, I hope it resonates not just with mothers, but anyone who's had to, you know, wanted to redefine themselves in their lives, who looked in the mirror and said, this isn't the person I want to be. What can I do to get there?
0: I love it. It's really, you know, all the feelings about motherhood could be today. I mean, this could be like on a blog or something. Like I could, I could, my friends at coffee, like these are, like they transcend time, some of these feelings, especially the way that they are not so openly discussed, right? Like I feel like it's midway through the book when she's talking to her mother-in-law about, you know, what it's really like and why, why do people not talk about it? And why is it so hard to have kids and so like soul sucking at times, right? Now I feel like it's a lot more socially appropriate to wallow and, and admit it, although not hundred percent, you know, you could joke about yeah. it, but you know, but then I feel like she didn't have an outlet and she there, here's this like super smart woman knows like a thousand languages and like has all this ambition and talent and beauty and drive and her gorgeous husband on fifth Avenue just wants her to like, hang around the house and take care of the kids.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And that was, I mean, that was the case for so many women in the fifties, you know, it was all these highly intelligent, educated women, you know, got their degrees or were just very smart on their own and then were locked in their houses. And they were told, I think the hardest thing for me looking back on that time, is like, you were supposed to be fulfilled. You had to be fulfilled. And if you weren't fulfilled by that role, something was wrong with you. And I think that was I can't imagine having been in that position. And what you said today, I think there's a lot more room to talk about how, you know, for some women, being a mother isn't totally fulfilling. You know, it can be very, very hard. But I still think there is this stigma about, you know, around talking about it. Every time I've talked about it, people will be like, but you like, you love your kids. Right. And I'm like, well, of course I love my kids, but that's not the issue. We don't have to always go in asterisk. I love my kids when we are talking about how hard it is, you know?
0: You know, it's sort of funny. It's like everyone, like if you said to people in all these different jobs, like, okay, and now I'd like you to put aside this job and you are going to become a full-time live-in nanny. They'd be like, well, I'm not sure I have the skill set for that. Or like, oh, I don't know. I'm not always that patient. Or "Hmm, I might really miss like whatever. That's not the job I picked. And yet that's essentially, I mean, not, I mean, I know they're your own kids, but the skill set involved, the skills you need and the actions you take when you're at home with your kids, which I was for many years, like, you know, There, all of a sudden you're like, well, what about all those other things too? Where do they go? Like, where does the, where does it all go? And sometimes I like, look at what I'm doing now even. And I'm like, all of this, like I had like, but I wasn't doing anything at all. I was on the floor every day with the kids and like, you know, you know, like where does all that extra energy go? Like, I'm not surprised that what's, what's her nickname? Rina's gets like, depressed, right? Cause it's yeah. like, you're an injured athlete, right? You're in, you're an athlete who can't do their thing. Totally. And you're an injured athlete and you're supposed
1: to be fine with it. I think that's the, that's the main issue is it's like, oh, you're benched from the thing you spent all this time and energy learning how to do, but don't you love it? You know? And I think that's, you know, her, her, she has a friend who just adores motherhood and she's like, isn't this just the greatest thing that ever happened to you? And, and Rita's like, I mean, she doesn't say it at the time because you couldn't say it, but right. she's like, no, it's really, truly really not the greatest yeah. thing that's ever happened to me.
0: I mean, there's different parts of of you that get fulfilled. Like there's nothing, you know, yeah. the love you feel for your kids, you know, that will f- fill my heart forever and my soul and whatever, but it's not necessarily going to fill my mind every minute. And right. I don't know why it should be okay to dissect those too. Like, yes, this is amazing and full of love and, and has changed me forever, but it's not, you know it's not taking that box that I had been, right? So something is still empty that can't get filled because it's like a different, right? It's like having a, two gas tanks in two different cars.
1: Totally, totally. And I think sometimes when you love your kids so much, which is wonderful, you don't pay attention to loving yourself. And I think that sometimes, you know, I certainly did. You wake up one day, you look in the mirror and you're like, but what happened to me? You know, yeah. where, did, where did my own self-love go? Where did the person who I was before kids go? And that that, that's something that I really dealt with and and emotionally put into the book.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You'll you'll read a lot of that. No, after I read the book, I went on your Instagram and I was like, all right, how old are her kids? You know. (laughs) (laughs)
1: I'm
0: like, what phase is she ish? Are they still this young? What's going on with her? They,
1: be, they feel like they've been babies forever.
0: <laughs> uh, how, they look a little older now. Though, how old are they? A little older, yeah. When I was writing it, they were
1: three and four. Now they're four and five. So, yeah. okay, you know, rumor has it they grow up and life gets a little easier.
0: It gets very different. I'm now finally out of preschool. I have six and eight and fourteen and fourteen. But it's different in a in a new way. But there is, it's not as physical which I think is nice. You know, these moments where, you know, she's getting all the bodily fluids of her kids all over her. And oh my gosh, the, the scene, the best scene in the whole book, I think is like when her son gets injured and she doesn't know he has glass in his knee and she's just standing there and she just like, can't motivate herself to pick him up. Like, of course, then the husband sees, but (laughs) I totally understood that. Not like the, I, I could just so put myself in her shoes in that moment. And, like, and then the judgment, for the external judgment, how it's so not fair, right? No one saw what she went through except us as the reader, right? And so we right. get it, but still like nothing becomes excusable. I don't know. It was great. I just, oh, I mean, I think every mom has had that moment. I remember my kids were, my son was a
1: baby and my daughter was two and I was trying to take her to, to preschool and I had one of these like big strollers, double strollers And she just was like raging so much that it tipped over in a crosswalk in the middle of one of the biggest streets in Washington, D.C. And I was like, oh, and you kind of don't know what to do. It's so overwhelming. Obviously, you want to pick your kids up out of the street. But like, I just remember all these people watching me and nobody helping me, you know, just everybody like looking at me, embarrassed for me or not wanting to look at me because they didn't want to help me. And I was just like, I wrote a line in the book that says like a woman of young children just you're in a ring of chaos all the time yes. you know you walk into a restaurant with your four kids and no one wants to be seated near you and no one wants to listen to your family and it's it's just it can be very
0: tough i had the same thing i i had the double stroller and i had to go down like two steps and i was by myself and so we went down the first step and then like it caught or something so the stroller <laughs> I was like this about to fall over myself and the kids were just dangling from their like <laughs> straps. you know. And I was like, help, but they're like, who's gonna help me? A stranger is gonna come rescue me on this. Anyway, I finally figured it out, but yeah, it's no fun. But yet you took all that emotion and then you made it this whole other story with like intrigue and sophistication and i loved that so it's not just like you're sitting around like moping about the the mom condition if you will but you took us all on this interesting ride and i feel like when i think about 1950s housewife i immediately go to the suburbs right like that's the the trope or whatever i you hardly Absolutely. ever read about 1950s Housewives on Fifth Avenue, right? Like what was yeah. that like? And as an up myself, I'm particularly interested in like <laughs> what would that have been like? You're like, okay, interesting. You know, so because in New York, like as it is now, you just are constantly with other people and seeing mm-hmm. what you're missing. And I feel like maybe in the sub I don't know. I mean, what did you, what did you think about sort of this time period in the city versus like what we kind of hear about elsewhere?
1: Yeah, I think one of the big themes is is seeing what you're missing. I think, you know, in the suburbs, there's certainly that sort of like, oh, mom taking too many happy pills in the suburbs because she's so bored. But I think sometimes not seeing all this stuff all the time can be a little helpful. I remember when I first had a baby and I walked through the city like on a Saturday morning and saw all these young women having brunch and just like the rage I felt against these poor innocent women. I was like, damn, all of you able to have brunch <laughs> <laughs> pajamas, you know, unwashed hair of this baby who hasn't slept all night. I was like, what I would give for brunch. So I think that's a it's a hard part for Rena. I mean, she sits at her window in Fifth Avenue and watches people a lot and thinks about, you know, I used to be this woman and I'm I'm so far away from this woman now. And also just the pulse of New York City. Post war, right? there was such an energy, right? I mean, things changed. It was the Cold War then, and there were other difficulties. But this, like, we made it out of the war. There's this jubilance to the city, which she experienced, you know, when she was a UN translator, and now she's cut off from it, and that's that's tough for her.
0: And even all the men and how you describe like their whole raging social life and all the available people are like looking to meet her and yes. the party, like all that stuff. Yeah. I was like, oh, that sounds like fun. Those <laughs> yeah. were New
1: York. I think oh, when I did my research, it sounded like so much fun. It's sort of like the way people talk about what life will be like after the pandemic, you know, or even after you get vaccinated. I remember going out and just being like, this is amazing. I have a new lease on life. You know, it's, it's exciting. The
0: problem with that is that not everybody's vaccinated. Like you know, I still felt that way too. But it's not like the war is not over. He, he right? Yeah. Right. No, the war is definitely not over. I know. So uh, I, but you know, so yeah, but it's so coming, back, coming, back. There, but coming back. Coming back. but Hopefully soon. I hadn't heard about the Long Island Railroad crashes. Yeah,
1: me neither. Sort of
0: terrifying, right? Yeah.
1: <laughs> Don't read this book on the LIR. Yeah. Right. <laughs> uh, <laughs> safety measures have gotten better, but yeah. So that came up because. The United Nations used to be on Long Island, which I didn't know. Didn't I didn't mean, know was- that either.
0: Mm-hmm. Would have spared us a lot of traffic, by the way, for UN week. It yeah. wouldn't be bad if it were still there, but just saying, okay, <laughs> keep, keep going. Move it back out. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So before it was in the heart of Manhattan, it was on Long Island. And the people who worked there took, you know, the Long Island Railroad to get to work. And one year there was this horrible crash. I mean, reading about it and talking about like people were saying it's just a sardine can filled with blood i was like well that sounds yeah yeah but it's also one another reason her rena's husband wants her to stop working he's saying right now you're pregnant this is dangerous you know you're going to quit your job anyway this is just another reason to quit now
0: okay we can't Or download the app today and use code BOOKS, B O O K S, all caps, to get one month of the gold package for free plus 15% off all tiles. That's life360.com code BOOKS. So ironic, too, when he, you know, he really wants her to quit and everything, and he's this like big shot pediatric surgeon and all the rest, and like, he's spending his whole life taking care of kids and all she wants is for him to take care of their kids. Right. And he can't, she cannot get him to focus. It's like so cruel, really.
1: (laughs) Yeah. That's kind of one of the reasons I made him a surgeon with kids (laughs) was to sort of show like, you know, I'm, I'm willing to spend all my time with these kids because it's my job, but my own kids, like they just need to be raised by my wife and that's fine.
0: Yeah. Not so fine. Wow. Well, super interesting. And I don't know, even, oh, wait, I wanted to ask you about the bruising. What was up with that? Did you hear, like, with, (laughs) I'm not explaining myself, I'm I'm speaking so informally. (laughs) So I I know what you're talking about. Okay. So Rena has a coping mechanism, which is sort of like digging her hands into her legs. Right. And also sometimes digging in her fingernails into like the benches and like, you know, she has all this like pushing sort of, and it comes, now she gets bruises and her husband at one point finally is like, what are we going to do about this? And she didn't even know he kind of even noticed. So yeah. where did that come from? Tell me about that.
1: Yeah. So she's, you know, at the time people didn't really talk about postpartum, but she's, she's in it. I mean, she's really happy it. And for her, it's, it's self-harming, you know, it's a coping mechanism sort of to take the pain of her mind and put it into her body. It's when I'm anxious or really nervous, it's something I do to a lesser extent or I'll go on a run or I'll have to sprint down the block or something to just move the brain into the body. Mm -hmm. So it's definitely taken from, you know, a habit I've had for a while, but she takes it to, to an extreme where she really is self-harming to, to, to really, to, to think about her body. And for her, I also want to do it to be like, she's trying to get her body back, not in a like, Oh, I want to get my body back to look great sense, but in a like ownership way, you know, where she was pregnant back to back. She's been breastfeeding for years. She has these kids clawing all, you know, on her all day, as we all know, when we have young kids and she just wants to possess herself again. And that's definitely part of that journey. Interesting.
0: So tell me about your process and everything. And also, so you have a book that's being turned into a movie as well, like as we speak. Yeah. So what is what's going on with that? Well, it's
1: it's been a slow journey. We're not <laughs> aided by COVID at all. But my third book, The Gilded Years, which is about the first black graduate of Vassar College. I also went to Vassar. She graduated in 1897, passed as white, and then her roommate at the very end found out she was Black, hired a private detective to follow her family around, and tried to keep her from graduating. Oh, my gosh. Big scandal at the time. This is 1897, of course. A true story, and then a story that kind of got forgotten over the years. So I ended up turning it into a book, and it came out in 2016, and it was almost bought. We had like all these great Hollywood calls and I was so excited. And then everybody disappeared. And I was like, but Hollywood. Where, where, where are we <laughs> and then over a, almost two years later, a year and a half later, my agent called me and was like, Reese Witherspoon called and she wants to buy her book. So I was thrilled that none of those other people had bought it because then Reese couldn't have bought it. So sometimes things happen for a reason.
0: Wow. But that's exciting. Very exciting. So is it, what's this? what stage is it in now?
1: I think it's still in rewrites. It was written, rewritten, still there, but hopefully we'll get get moving faster now that, well, who knows? <laughs> I'm not going to say anything about Hollywood, but hopefully we'll just keep yeah, moving yeah.
0: <laughs> This Timing is, I mean, I know that's so trite. Timing is everything, but, you know, I feel like there are forces at work when like we want something and it doesn't happen then. It doesn't mean it's not going to happen. Like it feels like it's never going to happen, but yeah. it might, it just might not be in that form at that time.
1: Totally. And I've learned, I mean, I've learned patience. Woman of Intelligence is my sixth book. And I've really learned that a lot of it is you just focus on the product and the next product and you try to make them good. And they're out there and whatever happens, happens. And the more books you have, the more opportunities you have. And it's kind of out of your hands. I mean, once it's optioned. It's not like you can just call them every day and be like, <laughs> oh, please,
0: how about that movie? Um, even though said, Update, no. question mark, question mark, yeah. question
1: mark. <laughs> I, I know there's a voice in my head that's like, Karen, let's be sane. So you keep yourself from doing that. <laughs> but yeah, you just, you just never know. I mean, I, I I hope this one ends up on the screen eventually. It's obviously a very emotional journey for me. So we shall see about that too. And are you working
0: on another book? Now, oh,
1: of course. <laughs> Another pandemic baby. I have a book that's due at the end of August, so I'm I'm writing that well, quicker and quicker every day.
0: <laughs> Can you say anything about it? A little sneak peek? Yeah, video. it's set
1: in the 1970s. It's set in 1977 in Los Angeles, and it's just fun. Honestly, it is like a celebration. It's like sex drugs and rock and roll. It's it's fun. I think after writing A Woman of Intelligence and the amount of like my own personal journey, pain with motherhood that I put in, I was like, okay, that has been done, and now <laughs> I need now I need to attend the party. So yeah, this book is is fun.
0: That's awesome. Wow, I can't wait to read that. Where do you have the characters living in LA? Yeah. So mostly just
1: like in the heart of LA on Sunset Strip is where a lot of the action Happens. There's a a vintage store that one of my characters owns on that street. So I've also been like, you know, going to parties and shopping through my mind in this
0: book. Awesome. I used to live right off that strip for a couple of years right after college. It was super fun. Yeah, like right there. I'm sure it was super fun. (laughs) It was very fun. But I was like, if I'm going to move to LA, and it was for this boy I was dating, I was like, we have to live somewhere that's as New York as possible. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh. <laughs> not Calabasas. Right. Like, yeah. Right. Not Calabasas. Calab- I don't I like never even went to the Valley, but no, I was like, I have to be able to walk. I have to walk to a bookstore. <laughs> like, yeah. So yeah. yeah. Anyway. Well, that sounds awesome. So any advice for aspiring authors? Don't do it. Just kidding. <laughs> um,
1: <laughs> that was my dad's advice to me. So my dad, oh, worked, no. I know he was an editor for the Washington Post book world for the book section. Oh, so no I
0: way. Thought,
1: like, I mean, just surrounded by books. And honestly, how could I not become an author when that's how you grow up? But he was like, here's my advice: don't become a writer. You'll be overworked and underpaid. And I mean, he wasn't wrong per se, <laughs> but it's like <laughs> it's like if all if both your parents are hockey players, you played hockey your whole life, and they're like, Don't become a hockey player. You're like, but but what else would I do? So, no, my advice here is buying writers. I think my advice is like. At first, especially maybe always like quantity over quality, because you can always get quality later. I think people get scared when their first drafts are bad or their first couple paragraphs or pages are are quote unquote bad. Like they think, oh, I can't do this. And look at these sentences, they're not as polished as I want them to be. But like you just got to kind of spit it out and then fix it later and you know I, I just sent my draft of my new book to a friend and she was like the beginning's great amazing and i was like well i worked on the first four chapters for so long cuz that's what i sent to my editor to read early and it's like, probably falls apart later because i haven't had time yet to, to work, on it, to work yeah. on it work on it but yeah it's i always like in the process to painting right you have to do a sketch first and like the mona lisa didn't look like the mona lisa when it was just like a pencil or whatever, charcoal, I don't know what they use back then, drawing, but it just takes like layers and layers and layers. So yeah, don't be afraid to write badly. Try to write a lot. Try to write every day. And then, and don't be intimidated by extremely good books. If you read a book and you're like, I can never do this, then pick up a really bad book and just
0: (laughs) Actually, I can do this. <laughs> like, no I'm I'm writing a memoir now, and it's also due at the end of August. By the way, yes, and, yeah. So, and I I have like a draft. I just sent in this weekend, but as I was like working on it, I read Suleika Jawad's Between Two Kingdoms. Have you read that book? No, I. Oh haven't. my god, it's so good. Anyway, it's like the For only great things. It's such a beautiful memoir, and she's so. And anyway, so I literally, emailed, even, I shouldn't even say this now. I emailed my editor. I was just like. I just read so like like my book is terrible. Like it's nothing like this book. This is the best book I've ever read. Like my book is as if I'm talking to a friend, you know, just like this. I don't have like that story. And she's like, that's okay. That's not your voice. <laughs> that's not your story. And I was like, okay, I'm just gonna keep going. I can't tell that story and I'm not her. And she's amazing. And I'm glad I can read it. But like we can't all write the books, every book we wanna read. We all have to write the books we can write. Yeah. That's yeah, my absolutely. profound advice from, you know, halfway through this.
1: That's that I, I think I would give that advice too, is like, be genuine to your voice. I mean, I remember I tried to write once a book set in the South and I, I am not from the South. I have never lived in the South and I've spent very little time in the South. So I don't know, what possessed me to think I could write something set in the South. I mean, you know, I live in DC, like I go to Virginia, but it's just <laughs> South, South. And it just, it did not work. I mean, luckily I'm able to self-edit enough that I was like, wow, this is horrible. And you will never see a book from me set in the South because I don't know it and I can't do it. So, and people will, from the South would be like, well, you're, you're definitely not from here, you know? And I'm not saying like, oh, you have to know your world so intimately or anything. But like, once you start with a voice, like it just has to feel- genuine enough. Totally.
0: Well, I think you should figure out how to sell some of these dresses or like (laughs) have a party where we all show up wearing this dress. Or maybe you've already done that and I wasn't invited because I'm just meeting you now. Or maybe you wouldn't have wanted to invite me anyway. But we should go to like Tavern on the Green in these like amazing color-coded outfits with the gloves and the whole shebang and like have it be like a costume party or something.
1: I mean, I would love that so much. Yeah. The only rule is that all of your clothes must be the exact same color because she has a yellow dress, yellow gloves, a yellow coat and a yellow bag. And I'm just going to assume she's wearing yellow shoes. Yeah. Um, Which I remember getting it and being like, that's a lot of yellow. And then being like, and I love it. Yeah. I love it. It really pops. So I am, I am all for this. I have not had any parties or any outings as glamorous as that lately. So
0: there we go. Okay. In the fall. Yeah. It'll be fun. Invite all your intelligent friends. It could be like a all my women yeah. women of right? intelligence. Yeah, are you a woman of intelligence? Come to this party. <laughs> okay, all right. Not like you need more help fun marketing this book, but anyway.
1: No, I I, I always take help. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, congratulations! It was really fantastic. I truly enjoyed reading it, and it was great to meet you. It was great to meet you too, and good luck with your memoirs. I'm. Thank I you. can't wait to read it. Thank you. They won't be like,
1: so like is so. <laughs> But amazing in their own way. I mean, that's what you have to remember. Every Think about all the books you like and how different they are. That's true. I could yeah. look at it.
0: Okay. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> all right. Bye. Bye. soon. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at zibbyowens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music.